0: All right, if you've got a Bible, go to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. This morning we continue in our series called The Runaway. The last few weeks we've been looking verse by verse through the book of Jonah, and it's been really, really intense as we've really looked at the things of God. We've looked at our own lives. We've looked at the essence of the gospel, and we continue that this morning uh, here in Jonah chapter 1. Just one verse in Jonah 1 and all of chapter 2. And so if you're able to stand, I'll ask you to do so as we honor the reading of God's Word Jonah chapter 1 beginning at verse 17 and it says the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights and Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple." The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, I uh, ask that you do what only you can do uh, this morning. I, I am very well aware of what hangs in the balance in these moments. That what we are dealing with this morning is eternal things. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you work in this place, would you bring salvation for I come with one message, the message is Jesus saves. So Jesus save, in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. He was the author for "For Whom the Bell Tolls, Farewell to Arms, The Old Man in the Sea you likely know of whom I speak, Ernest Hemingway. If you know anything about Ernest Hemingway, you know he's one of the most influential writers of the 20th century. But what you may not know about Hemingway is his rejection of faith and his lifestyle that really resulted because of that. Uh, Even though he was born to very devout Christians, Hemingway rejected the idea of truth. In fact, what Hemingway said about sin was this. What is immoral is when you feel bad after. The fundamentalist viewpoint that there are consequences is baloney. And then listen to this. He says, you can sin and get away with it. And Hemingway actually tested that theory. If you know anything about his life, it was filled with all kinds of partying, drinking, paranoia, multiple attempts of at suicide, affairs, multiple marriage. In fact, his life was so out of control at one point that his mother wrote him a letter. She wrote, quote, Unless you come to yourself, cease your loafing and pleasure-seeking and neglecting your duties to God There is nothing for you but bankruptcy. You, son, have overdrawn. And she was right. Ten years after that letter, Hemingway would attempt suicide again, this time successfully. The man who said, you can sin and get away with it, Realized he couldn't. It's sad, isn't it? It's sad, but it's not uncommon. And don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about suicide. I'm not even talking about pleasure seeking. I'm talking about what is often so common is the mentality that we think we can fight against God only to underestimate the power of God to our own peril. That is exactly, dear friends, what we find this morning in our text. Jonah is a man who has gone down to Joppa. He has bought a fare to get on a ship. He has endured a terrifying storm. He has even requested his own death at the hands of sailors, all the while thinking, what? I can flee from the presence of the Lord. I can flee from the presence of the Lord. I can sin and get away with it. And this morning, what we find is he hasn't. God sovereignly and supernaturally intervenes in Jonah's life again. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, when you read that verse, if you've been tracking it all the last few weeks, here's what you should be thinking. God versus Jonah. Round two. It's a lot better than Mayweather versus Pacquiao. God and Jonah have been battling it out, but what Jonah has yet to realize is that his arms are too short to box God. God has intervened in his life with a storm earlier in chapter 1. And now he intervenes in Jonah's life with a great fish. Now, this is the part of the story everybody knows, isn't it? You ask anybody about Jonah and they'll say, yeah, that's that story about a whale. It almost stirs up cartoon-like imagery in our minds, doesn't it? I mean, we, we, we almost think of like Pinocchio floating on a wooden raft, you know, with a kerosene lantern inside a whale. It, it's, it, it reminds us of like children vacation Bible school stories or Sunday school stories. It's cartoonish. Or it starts raising questions that really don't even matter, like what kind of fish was it? I'll tell you what I think. I have no idea. I don't think Jonah cared, to be honest. Or people will ask, do you actually think that this could happen? Well, I'll tell you this much. It's no more miraculous than believing a man walked out of a grave, and I believe that. You see, dear friends, you either believe in supernatural things or you don't. And for the record, Jesus believed it. That's all right with me. But it's not the point. Don't get sidetracked on what's not the point. See what is the main point. And the main point is not a giant fish. The main point is a giant God. It is what the narrator is taking great pains to show you, beloved. Chapter 1, verse 4, God hurled a great wind. Chapter 1, verse 17, God appointed a great fish. Which is just really awesome, by the way. Chapter 2, verse 3. Jonah says, You, that is God, You cast me into the sea. Time out, time out, time out. What does chapter 1, verse 15 say? That the sailors cast Jonah into the sea so what does Jonah believe about his being thrown overboard? Who does Jonah believe cast him into the sea? Answer, God. In chapter 2 verse 10, and the Lord appointed or spoke to a fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Do you see? It's plain. What the point is, the point is this our sovereign God has all the resources at his fingertips to intervene and to interrupt our lives to get us back on track towards obedience. That's what God is doing. In other words, if a storm didn't get your attention, if a near death experience at sea didn't get your attention, maybe this will. It is a sovereign intervention in Jonah's life. And why is it, dear friends, that God often has to resort to very unusual ways to get our attention? It's a a flag for us that, that something's wrong here. It's like, I don't know if you know this about me, but I like country music. Don't hold that against me. I grew up an hour outside of Nashville. I can't help it. And I read an article not too long ago about Hank Williams III, the grandson of Hank Williams, the son of Hank Williams Jr., Bocephus, right? And uh, the article talked about how Hank Williams III lived a very, very hard life, much like Hemingway. Drugs, alcohol, women, the whole deal just lived a very, very rough life. And he showed up for for a show in Chicago and He didn't make it. He was scheduled to to have a show in Chicago. He didn't make it because his friends scheduled an intervention in his life. They wanted him to see the direction his life was headed because he was blind to it. And what struck me about the article was this. It was who was at the intervention. Because one of the people that was there to intervene in Hank Williams' The Third Life was his dad, Hank Williams Jr. And I thought to myself... You know you're really messed up when this guy is at your intervention. (laughs) I mean, seriously, like if you show up and Hank Jr. is rebuking your lifestyle, you got problems. And that's the same kind of reaction we ought to have when we read this. It's not, oh, I wonder what kind of fish it is. It's like, I can't believe it takes this to get Jonah's attention. Because what it is, beloved, it's a trigger, it's a sign that the narrator is showing you of how deep Jonah's rebellion has gone, pun intended. He has gone down. Down to Joppa, remember? Down into the bottom of the ship and now down into the depths of the sea. Sin kept taking him down and down and down and down till he's now at rock bottom. And the question for us is, why do we have to hit rock bottom in order for us to hear what God is trying to say to us? Have you ever asked that about you? This is where sin has brought him, which tells us this. All eyes, all ears right here. Sin will take you places you never thought you'd go. And it will keep you longer than you ever want to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever want to pay. But it is here, at rock bottom, like so often for us, that Jonah finally listens. He finally learns what God has been trying to teach him, and he cries out to God. So what is it that Jonah learns in the belly of a fish. Verse 9 is the theme. You should highlight it. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And then here it is. Tension, drama building, suspense building. Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Way to go, Jonah. Finally, finally. Buddy, it took you a while. Seriously, dude, like you've been through a lot, but you finally get it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And what does that mean? We know what it means based on the reason that Jonah is running. And why is he running? Because he hates the grace of God. In other words, he he can't imagine that God would be merciful to people like Nineveh. Or to put it this way, he doesn't think Nineveh should be saved, So, what is he saying? He is saying, God, I finally get it. It's not for me to determine who gets saved and who doesn't get saved. You can save whoever you want to save because salvation belongs to you. Let me just translate it you win. You win. I have been trying to make salvation about me as though I were God. I give up. You're God. You determine salvation. And how does he learn that? He learns it by experiencing salvation again. You feel the tension? Now listen closely because I want you to make sure you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I do not believe that a genuine Christian can lose their salvation. I don't believe that. When I say that Jonah gets saved again, what I am meaning is that Jonah experiences the depth of salvation all over again. It's why I've been proclaiming to you now for several months that salvation is not just the door you go through to get into the Christian life. Salvation is the front door, the whole journey in the middle, and the final end. It's beginning, middle, and end. And every point in the process is growing deeper in our understanding of salvation. It's just another way of of using the word sanctification But it's saying it this way, that we go deeper in the salvation we've experienced. Jonah learned salvation belongs to the Lord by experiencing salvation. Think of it this way. Here's how Paul describes it in Colossians chapter 1. He says this, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit. So the gospel is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you and then listen to this phrase since the day you heard it and understood the God, the grace of God in truth do you see what paul is saying the gospel has come to you and it has been bearing fruit and growing since the day you heard it you don't you've heard me say this you don't ever outgrow the gospel There is a deepening of salvation that takes place, which means this. Prophets need the gospel just as much as pagan sailors. Preachers need the gospel just as much as murderers. Christians need the gospel just as much as non-Christians. Here's how I know. Do Do you know any Christians who struggle with forgiving others, hypothetically? Do you know any Christians who still have remaining prejudices against certain groups? Do you know any Christians who don't share the gospel the way they should? Do you know any Christians who drown in guilt? Any Christians who don't give or serve? Any Christians who still functionally think that the better I am, the more God loves me? And the more I do bad things, the less God loves me. I could go on and on. Every one of those issues is a gospel understanding issue, which means that the gospel is pressing up against an area of your life and trying to break through. And when that happens, it is an experience of salvation again, a deeper experience of the salvation we know in Christ. Do you see? And it's happening here. I go back and forth between sitting at my computer laughing and crying much of the week. Because people email me things like this. From this series. I'm currently away at college and God is wrecking me right now. I just got out of a difficult relationship, and after listening to the message, I wept. It seems unfathomable that God would love me in such a mighty way. I am so grateful. Yes! Somebody off at college... Engaged with our faith family and the gospel is breaking through? Or what about these from the the seats of our faith family? I'm going through the biggest storm I've ever faced. I go through times I'm scared to death, but this truth is what I've needed to hear. God is in control. Amen? Or what about this one? I'm a man who has been running from God. Sitting in the service gives me a panic attack. He meant that as a compliment. I think. Because I've become numb to the rock of my salvation, I believe Christ is grabbing me. I'm convicted as never before, and as I draw closer, the battle increases. Or what about this last one that says, I am Jonah? I have had knowledge, even graduated from a Christian college, but I have been angry and confused at God, but today's truth reawakened my icy heart. The gospel breaks through. And please, beloved, don't sit there and say, well, good for them, I'm so glad that happened for them, and I'm so glad it happened for Jonah. What about you? Some of you have been Christians for a long time. If people looked in your eyes, could they tell it? Have you been renewed in the joy of your salvation? Amazed? You even have it. Because that's what Jonah experiences in four ways. So get comfortable. It'll take about an hour and a half. Let's go four things that he experiences and here's the first. The wages of sin is death. Look at verse 2. I called out to God out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, that is the place of the dead, place of judgment, I cried. Look at Midway, verse 3. The flood surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Verse 4, I said, I am driven away. Do you hear that separation? I am driven away from your sight. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped around my head. Do do you hear what Jonah is saying? He is saying this, dear friends, I'm a dead man. I am a dead man is what my sin deserves. I am separated from you. I have been driven from your sight. Oh God, Jonah understands in the belly of a fish that the wages of sin, the consequences, unlike what Hemingway says, is death. The consequences of sin, the wages of sin is death. And that doesn't just mean physical death. It means sin will bring death in your life. Death to God, death to your hope, death to peace. When sin comes in, it brings death with it. And Jonah recognizes here that this is what I deserve. It's what I deserve because I've been running And the wages of sin is death. Oh, but that's not all he experiences. And I'm going to get excited on this one. It is this. It's by grace you have been saved. It's not just that the wages of sin is death. But it's by grace that you have been saved. Verse 4. And then I said I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Look at verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Some of your translations will say but, some of your translations will say nevertheless. Regardless of what it says, I'm really excited about yet, but, nevertheless. Do you know why? Because what's the point? I deserve death yet you tracking with me i deserve separation from god but i am a dead man in a fish grave nevertheless jonah is experiencing in a fish's belly the grace of god and that the grace of god is this friend it is an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. Now, we often think about that undeserved gift. What is grace? What is mercy? What's well, it's undeserved favor or whatever. But I want you to understand that it's not just undeserved, but God is unobligated to give it to you. Even in a faith family where we talk about the gospel of grace a lot, Don't start treating the grace of God like it's an anniversary gift. You expect it. And by the way, men, if she ever says, let's not do gifts this year, don't believe her. Just trust me on that one, don't believe her. It, It becomes this sense of, well, yeah, God's a God of love. God's a God of grace. Of course he gives grace. The moment you expect grace is the moment you don't understand grace. Think of it this way. Imagine a little boy who wants to buy an ice cream. The ice cream costs $2. He only has one. He's in the store, he wants to get the ice cream. Somebody overhears and sees that he wants the ice cream, and so they give him a dollar. He has now two. He goes up to the man behind the counter, buys the ice cream. Is the owner obligated to sell the ice cream? Yes. But think of it this way, the little boy wants the ice cream, the ice cream is $2, he only has one, so what he decides to do is to steal the ice cream and run out of the store. He is caught by a security guard, brought back into the store, someone overhears what's going on, gives the little boy $2, and now he hands the $2 to the owner of the store. Is the owner of the store obligated to sell? Absolutely not. In fact, the owner of that store is just as right to press charges as to sell the ice cream. The whole point of grace, dear friends, is God isn't obligated to give you an ounce, He doesn't have to give you a penny's worth of grace. He is just as right to look at you the way and I, the way he could have looked at Jonah and said, yep, this is what you deserve, die. Yet, but, nevertheless, in our deserving state of judgment, God brings grace. It is by grace you have been saved. Amen? And not only does Jonah experience that, but he experiences this. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Look at verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Now, a free moment right here. One should at this point say, Aha! I see what's happening in Jonah's life. Why? Because what was happening just a few verses later? Wake up, you sleeper. Get out of bed. Cry out to your God. And Jonah was hitting the snooze button. But now Jonah prays. I just feel like the Spirit of God is telling me right now to say that there are some of you right now today you haven't prayed in a really long time and you need to start there. For the first time in a long time, Jonah prays. He calls out to God and notice that he says, I called out of my distress and he answered me. Jonah is saying this, dear friends, I am guilty, yet but nevertheless, if I will call out to God by faith, he'll listen. He'll listen. And here's what I find so amazing, so come in here close for just a moment. You're not too far gone for God to hear you. You may not be surrounded by waters and the belly of a fish, but what you feel is the weeds have so surrounded you that you would say, I can't cry out because he'd never hear me. Yes, he will. If you will cry out this morning by faith in Jesus Christ, not like the sailors originally, well, get me out. But if you will cry out in faith, He will hear you. He will hear you. He will hear you. Because whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Jonah experiences what he's going to testify of God in chapter 4. He is a gracious God, slow to anger, patient, and loving. But then notice, lastly, what Jonah experiences in this salvation is this. He is risen to walk in newness of life. Risen to walk in newness of life. Look at verse 10. (laughs) And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. There's an image. But what is it illustrating? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was a dead man, but I'm alive because God is the kind of God who transforms lives. He reaches down in our deadness. He reaches down in our hopelessness and he spits us out of it. He reaches down in the pit of despair and he brings us out. And you see it here in this beauty, beautiful, amazing picture of fish vomit. It's new life, it's being raised from the dead. And it's exactly the kind of thing that God can do for you. And friends, that may be resurrecting you spiritually. That may be resurrecting the death of your marriage. It may be resurrecting a whole host of things that sin has brought death and separation to. But take it from Jonah. Our God is a God of new life. And that imagery, risen to walk in newness of life, does that ring a bell to you? Where have you heard that before if you've been around church for very long? You hear it every time you see a baptism. Why? Because what you're seeing when you see a baptism is the story of Jonah. I am in the waters. I am separated from God. I deserve death. I am Jonah. And though God was unobligated to do so, do you know what he did in my life? When I cried out to him in faith, he reached down into the pit of my despair. He reached down into my religion. He reached down into my hopelessness, and he pulled me up, spit me out, risen to walk in newness of life. Baptism is not some Christian bar mitzvah. It's just what you do when you turn a certain age. It is a testimony of Jonah's all throughout this faith family that says, I once was dead, now I'm alive, thanks to Jesus. friends, if you want to see the power of the gospel, look to a 70-year-old man walking out of a baptistry, soaking wet because he's tired of playing religious games. Look to a 17-year-old girl walking out of the baptistry, hair matted, makeup running, I don't look presentable. But she's tired of giving herself to the wrong things. And she's ready to give herself to Jesus forever. You want to see the power of the gospel, you look at a prophet walking along the shoreline of the Mediterranean, covered in fish vomit. That's the fragrance of Christ. That's what a transformed life smells like. What is it this morning God is stirring in your heart? I'll give you just three points of application. Eyes here. Is it rescue? Is there something in your life you need rescue from? Maybe it is an attitude. Maybe it is an addiction. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's hopelessness. Maybe it's suffering. Maybe it's just You've been really, really, really sad and broken in sorrow. And what you need is God to come and lift you up. Would you cry out to Him this morning in faith? He will rescue you. He may not rescue you overnight, but He will rescue you. The second is this, a renewal. I am preaching my heart out to get Christians to wake up, to not have a big smile and sad eyes, but to feel the rawness again, the amazing nature of amazing grace. I want reawakened icy hearts. Experience salvation again. That is the deepening of the beauty that salvation belongs to the Lord in your life. And here's the third, and it's just repentance. There are some of you here, you have never repented of your sin. You have never, like Jonah said, I'm tired of running. I'm not a Christian, but today I put my faith in Jesus. Today I cry out to Jesus by faith, save me. Save me. Whoever you are, Wherever you are, heed this warning. Unless you come to yourself, cease your loafing, or your pleasure seeking, or neglecting your duties to God. There is nothing for you but bankruptcy. You, son, daughter, have overdrawn. Oh, this morning that we would know what Hemingway never found. That we would experience what Jonah finally did. That salvation is from the Lord. And you do not find that by looking to a man who was three days in a fish. You will only find that when you look to a man three days in the grave. You will not find that by looking to a man to whom sailors said, let not his blood be on us. You will only find that if you look to a man to whom the crowd said, let his blood be on us. You will not find it in a man who screamed from a fish, I am driven from your sight. You will only find it in a man who screamed from a cross, why have you forsaken me? You will not find it in a man who walked out of a fish grave onto a shoreline to fulfill the word of the Lord. You will only find it in a man who walked out of a borrowed grave onto a shoreline, gathering his disciples and explaining to them how the word of the Lord was now fulfilled. And does anybody remember what Jesus was doing when he gathered his disciples and explained those things? He was eating a fish. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. God, that's our anthem. That's our hope. Jesus saves. So Jesus, would you come and save us? Some in this room for the very first time. Some in this room, it is a deepening of their salvation. An area in their life the gospel is pressing up against. Oh God, that today it would break through. It would break through. I pray that you would lift us up. Out of the pit, that we would cry out in our moment of distress, that you would save. In Jesus' name, amen.